So today we're going to look at the letter of James. So let's look at the first verse. Very simple verse, and we'll try to explain to you what he's saying here. James chapter 1, verse 1, he says this. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is, is look at the author. We're going to look at the author here and try to kind of figure out who he is. So the first thing I want to, you to see is, the writer identifies himself as James. James. Okay, George, so which James is that? If you never picked this book up before, or even if you have, you might have a mistaken assumption as to who this James is. What James is that? Well, this is not the Apostle James, the brother of John. So this is not... Remember, James and John were brothers, the sons of Zebedee. This is not that James. So let's just go ahead and clarify that. Straighten that up in our minds. We're not talking about the Apostle James. In fact, I'll just go ahead and tell you, we know it's not the Apostle James because of the timing of the letter, but we also know from the book of Acts what happened to the Apostle James. Anybody know? Yeah, he was martyred. He had his head cut off by King Herod, King Herod Agrippa. So this is not the Apostle James, the brother of John. This is James the Just. He's called James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus. This is James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13 and look at verse 55. If you have your Bibles... Turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. There, there, is a, there is a section of Christendom today that says that Jesus didn't have any brothers. But that because Mary is immaculate and Mary was a virgin, she never knew a man, so therefore she could not have had what? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. This is the Pharisees talking about Jesus here. And here's what they say. They're, they're kind of mocking him here. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers, James, Josie, Simon, and Judas. So, we see obviously here that... He's being acknowledged as the carpenter's son, which is Joseph's son. He's being acknowledged as Mary's son. And he's also being acknowledged as saying, aren't his brothers among us? And it gives you a list of the names of the brothers here. James is one of those brothers. We also know from another passage of Scripture that Jesus also had sisters. Jesus also had sisters. We don't know who their names are. It doesn't really matter at this point. Not something you need to figure out. But the reality is is that Mary obviously had more children. Now, somebody who belongs to that group will say is that these are the stepchildren of Mary. These are obviously children from, uh, from, from Joseph before he married Mary. No, that's, 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 we don't see anything textual to support that. And it appears very much that Jesus is the eldest child of these children. So it's obviously that uh, Mary still had kids after that. In fact, I think the Bible even tells you that. What do you mean by that? Well, let's, let's go back to the Gospels for a second. Matthew. 
Okay, look at verse chapter 1, verse 25. This is Joseph, okay? Actually, look at verse 24. We'll set the context here. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. All right? Now look at verse 25. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Two things from the text I want to point out to you. First of all, did not know her. Anybody know what that means? Yeah, it's a term, it's a sexual term. He did not know her sexually. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Joseph did not know her sexually until she gave birth to Jesus. The other thing I want you to see from the text that's very interesting is notice what it says there, firstborn son. What does that imply there? The eldest, but it also implies something else. More children. Do you understand what I'm saying? If it's the only child, it wouldn't be saying just the firstborn child there. So what what I want you to see here is is that James is the half-brother. So I just wanted to set up the fact that maybe you've been taught here that Mary doesn't have any other children. No, no, Mary did have other children, and this is the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, let's let's go on then. Here's let me tell you a little bit about his background. First of all, his pre-resurrection background. The Gospels tell us that Jesus' brothers were antagonistic towards him. So I want you to, just so you understand the setting here, even his own family was antagonistic towards Jesus. So James would be one of those who was antagonistic towards Jesus. In fact, listen to John chapter 7, verses 2 to 5. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles were at hand, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. And notice what it says, For even his brothers did not believe him. They're mocking him here, saying, Hey, you know, you're the big guy? Go on up to Jerusalem. Let your disciples see who you are. You know, so they're mocking him here. So why don't you see in the, in, the, in the pre-resurrection relationship with Jesus, Jesus' brothers were antagonistic towards him. So James wasn't a believer, even growing up with Jesus. Is that significant to you? Even growing up with Jesus, with big brother Jesus, he didn't believe. Did, did you know what I mean? I mean, if, if, if people could have interaction with Jesus daily growing up, I mean, do you think he was a perfect child? Yeah, we know he was a perfect child. Why? Because the scripture tells us he was without sin. He didn't sin. That's a perfect child, right? Now, if you've got a perfect big brother, what's your attitude towards the perfect big brother if you're a human being? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we are, I mean, those of you who have kids know what I'm talking about, right? Those of you who were kids with older siblings know what I'm talking about. Here's the conversion. We, here's what we know about his conversion. We're not sure when James put his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. We're not sure when James put his faith in. Here, let me just stop for a moment. This is a good place to say this. For years, and our church maybe used to hold this viewpoint too, that you 
you almost had to say when you got saved. Like you had to know the time and the date. And so when when did you get saved? And, and and when somebody would say, Well, you know, I don't I don't I don't really remember when exactly and oh well, you know what? Well how can you be sure? Type thing, you know? You need to just pray right now. Yeah, you know, I, I think when we look here, I don't think it really matters. The issue is where you are right now. Are you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now for your salvation? That's the issue. Because I've met many of people that can point to a time in the past, but they live like hell right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Their life doesn't reflect Christ at all. But they can remember when Grandma prayed with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? But what we know about James is, is James put his faith, we're not sure when he did. But we do know this. We do know that Jesus appeared to James after the resurrection. How do you know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is a very exhaustive uh, account on on Paul's part concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reality of it. And here's what he says in verse 7 of chapter 15. And after he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. So, James had a personal visitation from Jesus at the resurrection. In fact, the the text implies that Jesus appeared to James before he did the rest of the apostles. Isn't that an awesome thought? Okay, so it had to have happened somewhere. Maybe it was even in that resurrection appearance that he put his faith in. Now here's his position. He was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Church history tells us that James was such an influence that when people came and there were the decisions to be made in the Jerusalem church, it wasn't just the apostles who made those decisions. James was a part of the decision-making process. In fact, when you read Paul's epistles, and he refers back to the guys back at in Jerusalem, he always mentions James as being a mover and shaker in the decision-making process. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? As being a serious influence. In fact, Paul lists James as one of the pillars of the church. One of the pillars of the church is listed by the Apostle Paul as being James. In fact, Galatians 2.9 says this, And when, when James, Cephas, which is another name for Peter, and John who seemed to be pillars, perceived grace had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So there we see his name being mentioned. Now here's what we know. That's not recorded in the scripture, but I think it's very important that you understand what's going on here. James was executed unjustly by the high priest in A.D. 62. In fact, the high priest was known as was was known as Annas the second. Annas the second. That's not interesting because Jesus appeared before who? Annas and Caiaphas. Now Annas the second was like a great grandson or something of Annas. Here's what happened. We know this from church history. If you want to know, study the early church. I have some books downstairs you maybe could read. We do know that the church in Jerusalem was a very very religious, pious group. In fact, the the people of Jerusalem held them in high esteem and especially held James in high esteem. Because James would go to the temple daily. James lived very 
very um, austere in his lifestyle. He didn't live. He didn't live extravagantly. Okay, it's pretty interesting today when you see some of the TV preachers. You know, James didn't live that way. He fasted multiple times. People held him up as in the community as a very deeply devoted man to God. Now, what happened was is that during that time period, especially around eighty sixty two. There were some Roman procurators. We know of the one which is Pilate. Okay? But what happened was is that Rome would constantly shift who the ruler was there. Maybe that ruler would get himself in trouble or cause a problem with the Jews or another guy would be moved in or whatever. Well, it happened, just so happened that in between times of rulers, when one ruler was being moved out or maybe he was assassinated and another ruler was coming in, Annas, the high priest, who saw James as a thorn in his side in the whole way, in the whole Christian movement, decided to get rid of James. So he had James arrested on trumped-up charges, and they had another mock trial, and this time they did the execution themselves. And the Jews don't crucify. How do the Jews execute you? No, stoning. And so James was stoned. He died by stoning. Now the problem was is that the people of Jerusalem were pretty ticked off at that because he was held in high regard. And there was a big kerfuffle that happened. And it ended up happening that Rome ended up removing Annas II from his high priesthood. So they took him out of that uh, because of that whole incident. Well, that doesn't help James any, but James was executed unjustly by the high priest. Now, the nature of his identity. In the text itself, you look at verse 1 there, he identifies himself as James. He identifies himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. James identifies himself as a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, anybody know what a bondservant is? It's a slave, but it's a different it's a certain type of slave. It's 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 a slave that will it's 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 a slave that where one willingly becomes a slave. This is not a slave where you are made to be a slave, where a conquering army comes in and they take the population and they make them all slaves to the conquerors. That's not the type of slave we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody who is a slave who is willingly made a slave. Do you understand what I'm saying? He willingly places himself in subjection to someone. And in particular, he's a bondservant, so he's willingly placing himself into slavery, into subjection to who, folks? God and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is identifying himself here as a servant, as a slave to Jesus and to God the Father. Now, let's stop for a moment. I think it's going to be very interesting here if we just take a moment to reflect upon James chapter 1 here, the first verse. Just real quick here before I give you that. The bondservant is a slave, the rightful property of his master. Okay, so that's what help you a little bit understand a little bit more about a bondservant. But here's what I want you to notice. Look at verse 1. What strikes you about the way James identifies himself in this text? What sticks out to you? 
Anybody? Is there something different that's... Like if you, if today in our culture, if James were to identify himself, would he say this? Or what would he say? Okay, yeah, he would say, hey, <laughs> I'm the half-brother of Jesus. I used to carry his books for him. You know what I'm saying? The scrolls for him. Okay, so he would be playing up being the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, based on everything else we know, what else would you say would, is missing from here? Yeah, I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor of the Jerusalem church. Folks, it isn't Rome, it's Jerusalem. Do you understand what I'm saying? The heart of Christianity comes out of Jerusalem, not Rome. Okay? So it's like if anybody could be tooting around a horn saying, I am... Did you understand what I'm saying? This is what I want you to understand. This, this, we've, we've kind of missed it here in the Western world, haven't we? Because here's James... Here's James. James, when he identifies himself, he doesn't say, My name is James, the most reverend high pastor of the Jerusalem church. To understand the significance, I am the brother of Jesus. He doesn't say that. What does he say? James, I'm a slave. Wow. Wow. What does that mean? Position is an issue. Relationship is. Position isn't the issue. Relationship is. What do you mean relationship, George? Well, look at how he describes his relationship to Jesus. How does he describe it? I'm a bondservant of God or Jesus. The issue isn't... The issue isn't his position. Here's why. The reason why is... Listen. The reason why is... The insistence on the title focuses on what? Position. If you give your name, you're talking about relationships. You understand? That's what you see here in the text here. James is identifying himself. He didn't say, hey, it's the most high reverend James from Jerusalem. I'm the brother of Jesus. Be sure to get that right. No, he's talking about himself being a servant. Do you understand? Here's the thing. The in fact, isn't that what the New Testament teaches? Because Jesus would say to them that the Gentiles seek after positions. The Gentiles seek after lording over one another. But Jesus said, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you need to become a what? A servant. Did you see what I'm saying? Position means nothing. It's relationships. Okay, let's go on here. Look at the recipients now. James addresses this letter to the twelve tribes. Okay, now what does that mean? Well, we know that Israel is made of the twelve tribes, so we got... Okay, I think we're talking about Jews here. But here's what the twelve tribes refer to. The twelve tribes refer to Jewish believers. He's addressing Jewish believers. When he's talking about the twelve tribes, understand where the context from which he's writing... He's writing as the ch at the Church of Jerusalem. Now, who made up at the Church of Jerusalem? What type of people made up the, at the most believers in the Church of Jerusalem? Jews. It was primarily, if not solely, all Jews. 
So when he's writing a letter to believers, from his context, he's going to write specifically to who? Jewish believers. And, and we'll talk a little bit more. You say, well, aren't there Gentile believers at all? Well, hold on, we'll get there, okay? We'll get there. But it's, it's, he's making reference to Jewish believers here. Now, here's the problem that's happened with some people today. This has caused some to wrongly conclude that, this, that the letter is only for Jews only. There, there are some today, even, even in our circle of churches that we would normally affiliate with or whatever, that wrongly conclude that the letter is for Jews only. What do you mean by that? Well, they would say they would be more dispensational in their viewpoint and say that, you know, we live in the church age. You know, God is not dealing with Israel right now, but that's a time coming. It's for the millennium. And so they would say that what's written in James is not for the church today because it's for Jews, because he's saying to the 12 tribes. Those same people would also say that what Jesus says in the Gospels is not for today. Now, a lot of you are looking at me like, huh? You're right. I'm looking at that and saying, what? The Bible is the Bible. It's for God's people today, period. Okay? So they're wrong. Usually what happens when somebody adopts that viewpoint is that they really don't have a grasp of church history and what's going on in church history. And what do you mean by that? Well, most of the early church, in the time right after Jesus, most of the church was made up of what? Jews and Gentiles when you get outside of Jerusalem. So it's only natural that when he's going to write, he's going to write his letter to the 12 tribes, that, that is, the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. Now, here's their location. The, 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 being scattered abroad, what is that? This refers to the Jews who were scattered throughout the known world. These were Jews who were scattered throughout the known world. This is a, a theological term would be called the diaspora. They were dispersed. And we know that there were several diasporas that took place. One was, of course, you know, when Syrians conquered the northern kingdom, they took the northern kingdom and all those Jews into captivity and they spread their people among their captured territory. The other was when the Babylonians came and they captured the southern kingdom. They dispersed the believers, the Jews who were there throughout the kingdom. So what happened was is in the diaspora, the Jews were then spread out all throughout what is known as the known world. They were scattered abroad. And so what happens is, is that we can also see this, if you go to Acts chapter 2 verses 8 through 11, you'll see that at Pentecost, there were Jews from all over the world who were coming there for the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. In fact, let me just mention you some of the places. Parthians, Medes, Alamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Berea, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, Arabs, I mean, we're talking about that they're dispersed everywhere. So what he's talking about here is, is that he's talking, he's sending it out to these Jewish believers throughout the known world there who are scattered abroad. We also know that the early churches started out of synagogues as the, as the gospel spread. The early churches started out of synagogues as the gospel spread. So when you go through the book of Acts and you read the story of Paul on his missionary journeys, if they came to town, what's the first place they went to? What? 
Yeah, they went to a synagogue. The first place that they would go to was a synagogue to share about the gospel. And then after it got to a certain point, they would then leave the synagogue because the Jews had a problem with who coming to Christ? Gentiles. In fact, Paul tells us in Romans that they were that the gospel being available to Gentiles is provoking to a Jew. Because the Jew thinks that they're the only ones who are going to heaven. Okay? So it's possible then that these Jews were those who were driven out of Jerusalem. We see that in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 4. This is around the time when Saul is persecuting the church. And it tells us in verse 1, in Acts chapter 8, Now Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So you could see it might be that he's writing to these Jews who were once a part of the Jerusalem church who were then, what, scattered because of the persecution. Okay, so what does that have to do with us? Well, here's the thing. It's really written for everybody. Period. Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what we're going to read here is just simply for Jews because when you look at this, the stuff he's talking about in here is not just simply for you and your Jewish faith. It doesn't, it doesn't go there at all. It's really talking about rubber meets the road Christianity. Okay, now then, verse, the last part of one is, is just a simple greeting. James gives a simple greeting. He just says what? Greetings. Okay? All right, next week we're going to look at, he's going to launch right into it and talk about trials or problems.